Hello, my name is Julia, and this is the Media Podcast, where I talk about medicine in the context of media. The title of today's episode is, What Do You Ketamine? Like, what do you mean? And the reason is because today we're talking about ketamine. The reason you may have heard of ketamine recently is because it was found just this past month to be the cause of death of friend star Matthew Perry. So Matthew Perry is an actor best known for playing Chandler Bing in the show Friends, which is like a 90s sitcom about friends just hanging out. I think, um, yeah, I'm not sure if there's much more to it. Just a show about a bunch of friends. He's like the funny guy of the group. I think, unless Joey was the funny guy, I guess they're both kind of the funny guys. Anyways, Friends was his claim to fame. And he has been open about his struggles with addiction over the years. Usually he has spoken out about his struggles with alcohol and opioid use. But he was found dead in his jacuzzi in October of 2023. And after autopsy, several months later, it was announced that the cause of death was actually the acute effects of ketamine. And Matthew Perry actually had spoken about ketamine use specifically in the past, too, in his memoir, which was published in 2022, called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, a memoir. And in that, again, he talked a lot about his addiction in general, but he talked about undergoing ketamine treatment. In this book, he said... Ketamine was a very popular street drug in the 1980s. There's a synthetic form of it now, and it's used for two reasons, to ease pain and help with depression. Has my name written all over it. They may as well have called it Maddie. Right away, you could tell he struggles with pain, depression, and this drug spoke to him. So he did infusion therapy, which is a controlled treatment with ketamine that's used to treat depression. He was right in that it's used for pain and depression, but he was wrong when he said it is used for two things because it's actually used for many other things that we will get into. So he received ketamine treatment in a rehab facility. And at the end of his treatment, he said that ketamine was not for him because he said, and this is another quote, taking K is like being hit in the head with a giant happy shovel and said the hangover was rough and outweighed the shovel. So basically talked about the treatment making him feel so happy and euphoric and great. But then afterwards, just the come down was so miserable that it wasn't worth it to him to undergo these treatments. And for that reason, it came as a surprise in 2023 when ketamine was found to be his cause of death. So in this episode, we will be talking about what is ketamine? How does it work? What is it used for? And what are some of its side effects, including how did it kill Matthew Perry? So ketamine causes a dissociative state, which is responsible for a lot of its therapeutic and recreational uses. But basically what a dissociative state is, is it causes basically like a separation of you from either your mind, body, or surroundings. So you feel either kind of disconnected out of your own head or you feel like everything around you isn't real. So disconnected from your environment. So the way that ketamine works is by acting on neurotransmitters in your brain. So neurotransmitters are chemical signals that allow all the cells in your brain, which are called neurons, to communicate with one another. So it acts primarily on a neurotransmitter called glutamate. And glutamate plays an important role in memory, cognition or thinking, and mood, which also helps to explain the effects of ketamine influencing this neurotransmitter. The function of the neurotransmitter depends on the receptor it acts on. So ketamine acts on a lot of different receptors. 
So I won't get into kind of too much nitty gritty neuroscience detail, but just to kind of mention the different receptors so we can understand the different functions and then the different uses, I'll just say it can act on receptors, including the NMDA receptors, which it can block, and that influences symptoms of depression and suicidal ideation. It interacts with sigma receptors, which affect how we perceive pain. And it also can act on cholinergic and opioid receptors, which influence its role in sedation and analgesia. So that is what it's used for often in like hospital settings, especially in the case of like procedures. And we'll get into this more, but like sedation is when you like put someone to sleep and analgesia is not being able to feel pain. And so when we talk about like anesthetics, which ketamine is one, so like undergoing anesthesia, that's the main purpose of anesthesia is to sedate and to help with pain control. So ketamine is interesting because in addition to these acute interactions with receptors in the brain, ketamine also has long-term effects. So even though Matthew Perry, like we talked about, described just kind of the acute euphoric interaction when he was getting the infusion, which is kind of how this starts, over time, the effects of the drug outlast the drug in the body. And so that's thought to be mediated by changes in the connections between your neurons. So like I said, it influences signals between neurons, but it also can affect the connections between the neurons permanently. Um, and that's called like synaptic connectivity. So as that extra glutamate is kind of lingering in the brain compared to usual because of the effects of ketamine, the neurons respond to that by increasing the amount of connections they have to one another. So over time, you're basically rewiring those neurons in response to the ketamine. So now, based on all those different influences it can have in the brain, let's talk about how we can make ketamine useful by capitalizing on those connections. So the first of which is using ketamine as an anesthetic. So again, sedation and pain control. Ketamine is great because it acts extremely quickly. And so sometimes in an emergency situation, it's the best thing you can use if you need to like put in an artificial airway or something like that. It works in seconds to anesthetize someone once given via an IV. It can be used, again, because it acts so fast as an onset for general anesthesia for a more involved procedure. So you can start with ketamine while you give your anesthetic agents that take a little longer to settle in. And it's great for quick procedures, especially like in an emergency department. So that's when I've seen it and used it myself the most. It is given in the emergency room to help with fractures, dislocations, and wound repairs. So that's more so seen. I work in a pediatric emergency department, so it's more so seen in children than adults for those types of procedures, but we use it very, very often on children. Ketamine is safe and effective for that purpose, and it is FDA approved for the use of anesthesia and procedural sedation. Now, we also spoke about the influence ketamine has on the receptors in our brain that account for pain. So another use of ketamine is pain control. This is considered off-label in that it's ketamine is not FDA approved for pain control, but studies have shown that it is very effective in treating severe pain. When used for pain management, you use what's called a subdissociative dose. So ketamine causes a dissociative state, which we discussed. Low-dose ketamine shouldn't cause that dissociation, but can influence pain perception and, like I said, over time can cause some rewiring and really help with chronic pain in the long term. It is found to be safe and effective 
especially when used with things like injectable steroids for pain control and things like opioids. Ketamine has become more accepted because of how well it works with opioids because, as you may have heard, and this is something we could talk about another time, but opioids are extremely addictive and are thought to have been overused quite a bit since gaining popularity over the last decade or two. So by using ketamine, the amount of opioids needed to reach pain control is lower. So you can use ketamine instead or in conjunction with a lower dose of opioids than you would otherwise use. And if you're using lower doses of opioids, then it has less dangerous side effects and might be less addicting. And speaking of addiction, ketamine has also been found to be quite effective in treating addiction, specifically with alcohol and cocaine abuse. And those who did use alcohol and cocaine and were treated with ketamine were found to have lower chances of restarting or relapsing into addiction than other people treated for addiction, which is amazing. More research is needed on how exactly ketamine affects addiction, but it's thought that it might change how your brain deals with cravings, how motivated you are to quit a drug, and your response to your cravings or your reaction to your urges. So it's interesting because those are all things that are more like cognitive and behavioral like those are all factors in how you're thinking about these drugs and responding to those thoughts um, which are things that are addressed by therapy and so ketamine is actually thought to make behavioral therapy more effective which is huge in overcoming addiction so ketamine can be used in conjunction with therapy to have better outcomes over time but not instead of treatment with therapy. But it's also important to add that ketamine can be addicting itself. And so if used as an addiction treatment, it should be used by the very close oversight of medical professionals. Recreational use of ketamine can lead to addiction and other dangerous side effects, obviously, given the introduction of this episode. So while it can be very helpful in treating addiction, that is something that should be done in a very controlled environment. And then another use of ketamine that I find really interesting is the treatment of many mental health conditions. Ketamine has been found to be effective in treating major depressive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, postpartum or peripartum depression, anxiety, eating disorders, mood disorders, in addition to what we already spoke about, which is substance use and chronic pain, which also might fall under a mental health umbrella. So ketamine right now is not FDA approved for treating depression or suicidal ideation. So that is also an off-label use. But the FDA has approved something called S-ketamine, which is a chemical variant of sorts of ketamine. So very similar, but it's what's called an enantiomer. So it's just slightly different. Um, And this is FDA approved to treat treatment-resistant depression in conjunction with an oral antidepressant. So what that means is depression that has failed other therapies or that is so severe despite treatment with other medications or with also severe suicidal ideation. This might be a good choice, but again, used with another oral antidepressant. So a typical by mouth anxiety, depression medication. The drug that is approved, S-ketamine, is actually given as a nasal spray. So it's sprayed into your nose. And that should be done only in a doctor's office or clinic by a healthcare provider. So that's not something you take home and do yourself. So medical professionals watch you use it. They follow you after you've taken your dose and they monitor your vitals because of the side effects of this drug. So they make sure that your blood pressure, your breathing, your heart rate, everything is normal after getting the dose. 
and they watch you for a little bit just to make sure you're not having any acute side effects. And doctors also administer this drug so they can have good control over the dose you're getting. Again, because ketamine otherwise might be addictive. So in addition to that nasal spray, you can get infusions with ketamine to help treat these mental health conditions with an IV. But like I said, that's not FDA approved. So this is still considered off-label. But you can get ketamine infusions in clinics like Matthew Perry did. And this is actually a growing business in the U.S. These clinics are popping up all over the place. And there's thought to be hundreds to thousands of these clinics in the U.S. currently. So these clinics are for profit because it's still an off-label use. Insurance is not going to cover it. Usually people are paying out of pocket to these clinics. And usually there is should be a psychiatrist or an anesthesiologist there. So a doctor who's able to manage the infusion, as well as nurses, social workers, and business people who are really running the show. And so this infusion can cost between $400 to $2,000 per treatment. And usually the recommended treatment course is like, I believe, an average of like six sessions in order to see more permanent results. So you might see good results after even one treatment in addition to the feelings from the infusion during the treatment. So you might have like a dissociative state that feels really good. You could start to have a positive improvement improvement in your depression overall pretty quickly, which is especially remarkable considering most antidepressant agents like something called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which is something like Prozac or something like that, can take four to six weeks before you have any improvement. So to get some improvement in your depression and suicidality within an hour is really remarkable. So I had heard of these clinics before, but I didn't know much about them until kind of reviewing for this episode. And so I had no idea quite how many they were or exactly how the business model looked. And it's interesting because I learned about this And then on TikTok, recently I saw Remy Bader, who is a TikTok influencer, making a video about her experience with ketamine infusion. And so she made a two-part video series, the first talking about being at an infusion center to get an infusion for her back pain. So I believe she was getting like an epidural and she said she was feeling loopy because of that initial medication. And then at that time, somebody asked her, oh, like you also have depression, you want to try ketamine. And she said she wasn't in a place to be making medical decisions, but she's like, sure. So she does the ketamine infusion, which she said was very out of character for her. She said it felt amazing. She described it as all rainbows and butterflies. But then as soon as the medication stopped, she felt really terrible and started having this feeling of panic. And she said she was kind of like freaking out. She then made a video coming on TikTok and asking people, like, is this normal? Is this what's supposed to happen? What is the point of this treatment? If you feel so bad after getting it, what does it really do for depression? And so her videos were concerning to me because, first off, while she's already at the clinic and she even said she wasn't really feeling in her right mind, to ask her at that time to try a new medication, especially one like ketamine, which is really no joke to me seems very inappropriate and all the questions she's asking and her whole experience I think everything should have been done beforehand when she was not under any influence of any medication and it should have been a conversation with her provider so I think ketamine can be very helpful for depression like I already talked about but it should be a decision that her and her psychiatrist make together and so I think 
if she had spoken to her psychiatrist beforehand and gotten all the information, especially managing her expectations for the treatment itself. So knowing what it would feel like during, what it would feel like after, how many treatments might be expected of her, it's unlikely that you'll have major long-lasting changes after one treatment. She didn't seem to know that. She really seemed to know nothing about what this infusion entailed or what it was supposed to look like or what the treatment course overall was supposed to look like. And I think those are all things that she should have been very much aware of before getting this medication. It shouldn't be something that she, on her own at this clinic, decided to try. And that's obviously no fault of her. Somebody asked her to try it and she was not in a place to be making decisions, so she tried it. I think the experience would have been much better had she had a discussion with her doctor beforehand. And it makes me really sad that now afterwards, she's coming to TikTok and asking all these questions Again, she knew so little of the treatment. She's even asking, like, is what I was feeling normal? Like, what is the point of this treatment? Like, she should have known that at the very least before going in for treatment. She should have known how it works and what it would look like and how many treatments she would need, etc. And so even though maybe people on TikTok are offering good insight in the comments, which is very possible, and I'm glad she has, you know, people to reach out to, it's not the same making a one-way video and receiving comments from strangers as it is having a conversation with your healthcare provider, being able to clarify things, ask follow-up questions, and decide together if this is the right treatment course for you. And if you have that conversation and still have questions about other people's experience, whatever, I think then social media is a better resource versus knowing nothing about the treatment that you already did and then coming on to ask if your experience was normal and like what was the point of the treatment and what does it do to your body like those are things that you should have answered before you try the drug by your doctor so i thought that was really interesting i think you know we've already seen a huge rise over the past few years of the increase in ketamine use for mental health treatment and i think that will only increase in the coming years as more research comes out so let's talk now about ketamine as a recreational drug which we've touched on a bit as a street drug is called sometimes just K, you may have heard of it as, sometimes special K, and there's a few other slang names for it. So at doses below a certain threshold, ketamine is great for sedation, pain control, lots of the other things we've spoken about. Once it reaches a certain dose, that's when the dissociative state occurs. A lot of the indications we already talked about are sub-dissociative dosing. Sometimes in the clinical uses, it is given in a dissociative dose. Like Remy Bader seems to talk about her dissociative state. Matthew Perry talked about his dissociative state. So inducing that dissociation within a controlled setting can also be beneficial. But it's the effects of ketamine that creates all those medical benefits that also creates recreational incentives. So not feeling any pain, a feeling euphoric, dissociative. These are qualities that make this appealing as a recreational drug. So in controlled settings, ketamine can be given by IVs, so injected into the vein. It can be given as a shot into a muscle. And like I said, too, there's that specific formulation that can be given as a nasal spray. If you're using it recreationally, you can snort it, inhale it, and you can even ingest it in foods and drinks. So now let's talk about some of the side effects of ketamine, because so far, I feel like it sounds pretty good. There's a lot of Clinical uses, recreationally, feeling euphoric, sounds great, I'm sure. But of course, this is not without side effects. So some of the most common side effects of ketamine are nausea and vomiting, feeling dizzy, having double vision, 
feeling really sleepy, feeling dysphoric. So instead of that like feeling of elation and euphoria, you feel kind of more uneasy and confusion. So those are what we commonly see but then there's some more dangerous side effects so we can just go through the body in terms of the heart it can cause what's called an arrhythmia or your heart to be at an abnormal rhythm which can cause the heart to stop functioning properly it can cause changes in your blood pressure so it can become really elevated and it can even cause cardiac arrest in terms of your breathing it can cause you to just stop breathing so something called apnea which is obviously dangerous it can cause an increase in secretions along your airway which you can then choke on it can cause your airway to spasm or contract, which again can cut off the flow of oxygen. And it can cause you to breathe very slowly and perhaps too slowly to support yourself. So that's respiratory depression. It can affect your muscles and cause you to become really stiff or to spasm. Or it can cause movements that look like seizures. Or it could affect your brain and cause actual seizures. And then in terms of psychiatric effects, it can cause amnesia which is a beneficial effect and when we talk about using this for procedures or things like that, but obviously less ideal when using this recreationally or for other purposes. It can cause anxiety, which Remy Bader might have experienced when she talks about coming out of it and instantly panicking. That could just be a side effect of the medication. It can cause depression, and that might be like what Matthew Perry experienced when he talked about getting it in the infusion clinic, feeling so happy and then just a terrible come down. You may experience something called an emergence phenomena. And that's after you receive this drug either for a medical purpose or if you induce a dissociative state in yourself recreationally. Coming out of that may cause you to feel really disoriented, really maybe sometimes hyperactive, sometimes very agitated, and it can be extremely distressing. And then, of course, like I mentioned, it can cause dependence on the ketamine and depending on any drug over time can cause addiction. And that, as a side effect, is much more likely to be seen when this drug is used recreationally versus in any of those medical settings. And so in the case of Matthew Perry, the level of ketamine found in his blood on autopsy was quite high. It was much higher than it could have been had he been getting ketamine for the treatment of depression, which he had previously done. So it was definitely thought to have been taken recreationally. And ketamine can be fatal in patients who are intoxicated with alcohol. There was no alcohol found in his blood on autopsy. It was just ketamine. So the likely cause of death in him, the reason why this ketamine was lethal, was thought to be from cardiovascular overstimulation so putting much too much stress on the heart and respiratory depression so again that's not being able to breathe and maintain adequate oxygen in your blood and so too much stress in the heart plus not being able to breathe normally are thought to be why he died from ketamine use if you listen to this whole episode thank you so much i hope you enjoyed it and i hope that you learned something if there are any questions or anything you would like me to discuss in a future episode then you can let me know at media podcast, M-D-I-A podcast on TikTok or Instagram or email me at mediapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.